your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host. As always, James Fox is beside us. He is the senior editor of Future Sox. James, how are you doing today? Good, man. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's going. Today we have a fun show, and I know you know this, but I want to reiterate how fun it is. Because later on in this episode, Jack McMullen of the Indianapolis Indians, that's the Pittsburgh Pirates AAA affiliate. He's a play-by-play broadcaster for their affiliate He's joining the podcast. And now you here's the thing. As a listener, you're thinking to yourself, why do I want to listen to a Pittsburgh Pirates play-by-play broadcaster in their system? Well, I'll tell you. He's a local kid, and he's also got a lot of knowledge on, one, baseball, and two, Chicago White Sox prospects. So you're going to learn a lot about maybe an outside perspective, a perspective that you're not necessarily used to hearing. Jack McMullen is so good at what he does. So I'm really looking forward to having you listen to what he had to say later on in this episode. But before we get to that, James, we have some stuff to discuss. Baseball America released an updated top 30 for the Chicago White Sox. And, you know, we have some thoughts on it. We need to discuss why they're releasing it so frequently and to some of the names that are across the top 30. So that'll be fun. Before we get into that, you know, I'm, I'm previewing a lot here, but this is this is where I want to start, and it takes precedent because news leaked last week. It was reported by James Feagan of The Athletic and also Shane Reardon of 670 The Score that Wes Holmes, the manager of the Charlotte Knights, has been put on indefinite lead. Now, it was Feagan who had the term indefinite leave, and we're going to run with that because Feagan is obviously in touch with the organization better than any of us. But Shane Reardon had some pretty specific terminology saying that the White Sox fired Wes Holmes. So at this point, we're running with what Feagan reported. Nobody has refuted it, but the two reports are consistent. Wes Holmes was dismissed from the Charlotte Knights as manager. James, you know, we don't know the extent at which uh, this decision was made, why this decision was made. However, it seems like there's got to be something because this was abrupt. I mean, he was well-liked by the players from all accounts, From what we've heard, he's been very accommodating to the media. But, you know, in all reality, we're not going to throw in any assumptions or any accusations whatsoever. But for the White Sox to just say, all right, he's got to go, says something to me. And we wrote about this, and it's been pretty transparent. Wes Holmes was the only holdover of the incident that occurred with Omar Vizquel and the autistic ball boy back in Birmingham of 2019. As details continue to emerge in that story, we just can't help but wonder how involved Wes Holmes was in that situation because, again, he was the only one left in the organization. Following this situation in 2019, he was bumped to the Charlotte Knights manager position in 2020. They didn't have a season that year, so in 2021 he debuted as the manager, but they kept him around, James. And, you know, I bring that up because the details in the story related to Omar Vizquel is damning. And Wes Holmes was mentioned in the report. 
Helms was a witness to the extent in which he was a witness, what he was involved in. We don't know. But to me, I, I just, I, I don't know this. This has a funny feeling written all over it. Yeah. Right. Like this, is this is one where it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of people reach out to get our opinion because, you know, some of our writers like cover the man every day, but I, I just, I kind of feel like this is still a beat writer story because there's only so far that like we're able to go and, and to be as transparent as possible, there's only so far, like I want to go with it. Like we, we cover minor league players and prospects, you know, that'll be white Sox someday. I think this is like in our purview and, you know, I think it's very easy for us to say like, you know, like I, I was a little bit surprised that he was honestly still employed by the organization just with the little information that we had. Um, but I just figured, you know, it was, fine like i guess like you know, i was caught off guard that he was the triple a manager but then you kind of forget about it so yeah i'm i'm sure more details will will come out they have an interim manager in place and you know they're going to try to be as business as usual as possible i mean they still have to they have to have a triple a season and they you know th- those players go directly to the big leagues so you know that that stuff will still occur but it's it's definitely you know probably a nasty story that's coming i would assume we have to mention that because it is it was pretty big news. I mean, it was shocking. came out of nowhere last week, at the end of last week. And again, we're not going to speculate whether or not the decision to dismiss Wes Helms is linked to the Omar Vizquel controversy, but in the incident, I should say, really, it was a terrible incident. And at the time, we were only privy to so much and to only what was reported. And like you said, James, this is this is beyond us. So we're going to let the beat take care of it. I'm sure details will emerge, like you said, but it's hard to just forget about the fact that Wes Helms was involved in the Omar Vizquel incident and that, that he stayed around and then suddenly now he's dismissed. So this happened about two and a half, three years ago. You know, if, if bad things occur, they tend to come to light, especially these days. So hopefully it's not as bad as as our um, gut feeling says it is. So we'll see. We'll continue to monitor that. But again, we're going to leave it up to the beat writers on this one. So just wanted to get that out there as we move on to other, I guess, storylines that we're following. And this is something that kind of takes the the focus away from the ugliness. And that's the top 30 attached to Baseball America. Now, James, this is interesting. Let's talk about the top 30 that Baseball America just released because timelines are interesting when we're trying to rate prospects. Here we are in May, and Baseball America has released another top 30, an updated top 30 for the White Sox. It's hard to evaluate these prospects when you're listing them based on production, and it seems like they're just trends as opposed to overall uh, talent and all the other things that go into rating prospects when it comes to putting together lists like this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's dangerous to do it this consistently. I mean, if they're going to do it, like I'm going to read it, but I think you need to point out like okay these are like just tiny snapshots like I I just like don't know how accurate it is or how accurate they even want it or if it's just like this like constant running record of you know that they have then I mean like for example like Brian Ramos was the talk of like the early season amidst like White Sox prospects like he was awesome to start the year but he struggled a little bit in May so Brian Ramos is number two on the Baseball America list. I think if we were to like make a midseason list, I, I don't think Brian Ramos is going to be two. I think he's a good prospect. I think 
you know, he he's uh, still super young. Everybody that listens to the podcast knows how we feel about Brian Ramos, but I just think like it's dangerous territory. Like there, you know, there were a lot of people that I talked to early this season, mostly fans and just, you know, people I talked to that follow this sort of thing that are like, you know, it's, it's Brian Ramos going to be a top 100 prospect. And I think it's easy to throw that around, but then you have to consider like for him to be a top 100 type prospect, he'd have to be the best prospect in the system. And I just think like, you know, we put Colson Montgomery last year's first rounder and Oscar Colas at the top of our list. I think, you know, and you can tell me whether or not you agree. I think we would keep those guys there despite like some early season trends from others, you know? So yeah, like, do I just think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a snapshot. If they're going to do this, I think people should read it and say, Ooh, like this is interesting. Like this guy jumped into the list and we'll talk about some of those guys, but you know, it, it's going to be a lot different monthly if that's how you're going to do it. Right. And w- the way we do it is, you know, we space it out over time. So all of these different things come into play, like proximity to the big leagues, you know, draft status, production, all of that stuff, skill set, position, you know, a lot of that goes sort of out the window, not necessarily all of it, but a lot of it does when it when it comes to evaluating players so quickly like this. And it, it is a lot uh, based on trends here. And we see Brian Ramos at two, Jose Rodriguez three, and I agree with you. Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas are one, two. And I wanted to keep it right there, James, because you know we've been following Colson and Oscar very closely all season long, and there's a lot of stock placed in both of those players. Do you have an update for us? on uh, how both of them are doing in one in Kannapolis and the other in Winston-Salem? Yeah, so it was frustrating because both of them were hurt for a while. Like Oscar Colas had a wrist, some nagging wrist thing that Andy Barquette, you know, kind of told us about. And Colson Montgomery got hit on the hand with a pitch and he missed like almost a month. But, you know, Colson Montgomery is a 20-year-old, his first season, full season, Kannapolis. He's got a 13% walk rate. That's what really stands out. But, you know, 137 WRC+, 830 OPS for the left-handed hitting, you know, shortstop out of an Indiana high school last year. So he's been, he's been pretty good. I think he, he's, he's surprised some people so far. It's only two homers, but you know, he gets multiple hits every night and walks a ton. So I think that's good. I think that's, you know, in some of the defensive reports of, you know, him, he's a six foot four, like 200 pounder. So, you know, the defensive reports have been promising. Even like we talked to a lot of people that thought he would stay at short. I think that's the most important thing. So, I mean, as long as that's a thing, like he's the number one prospect in this system as of right now. Oscar Colas was the latest uh, international signing from Cuba. We talked about he missed some time too, but he's been pretty good at high A Winston-Salem. And he's obviously a little bit older. Um, Colas is 23 years old. So, I mean, he could be at Birmingham. Anytime, I think. Hitting 293, 55, 510. You know, that's an 865 OPS. He's got four homers on the year, but they've all been pretty recent. So, you know, he's kind of been on a tear lately. 130 WRC plus at, at High A Winston Salem. So, you know, I do think those two guys are the White Sox best chance at having some sort of top one hundred at a at a major publication at midseason. So it's encouraging to see the production out of Colson Montgomery, first full season professionally drafted last year, like we mentioned. And Oscar Colas, first season stateside, first full professional season. He's holding his own at advanced say. Now, we also have to mention that, of course, those who have been paying attention know that Oscar Colas did play in the national team in Cuba uh, a few years back, around 2019. And he is older at 23 years old. So 
Colossus more of an advanced prospect than we've seen and what we're used to at this point because a lot of these prospects who are across the the bottom levels of the league are young and either first or second year players in the organization. And this is interesting too now, James, speaking of first or second year players, Sean Burke is listed as the number one pitching prospect in the organization. And also Lenyon Sosa, a guy who hasn't been uh, a first or second year player in a long time because he's been a part of the organization since 2017, has emerged as arguably the most productive prospect in the entire system. One, it's interesting that Sean Burke is rated above Norhe Vera and a lot of the guys like Jared Kelly and those who we mentioned in prior podcasts pitching related, but also the Lenyon Sosa thing, James, there are so many middle infielders in this farm system that are rated in the top 30, which is a great thing. And you can even lump in the third baseman as well. There's a lot of productive infielders here. However, it's kind of hard to project where they're going to fit with the White Sox. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, I think, around trade deadline time. You know, it's something we kind of talked about off air. Like everybody knows Jose Rodriguez and we talked about Brian Ramos already. You know, but if you add Lenyon Sosa to that group as well as Yolbert Sanchez, somebody who we could see in the majors this year. All four of those players, you know, need to be added to the 40 man to protect them from rule five. They would all potentially get taken in a rule five situation, right? So look, I I don't think the White Sox are going to be in a position to add all four of them to a team that's likely contending in 2023, like to that 40 man. So, you know, when you're looking at the trade deadline for the White Sox adding talent, some of these guys will end up expendable, but you know, some of them can end up on the big league club too. Like we talked a lot about Yolbert. You know, I tweeted the other day, Lenyon Sosa having a Luis Roberts season at Birmingham wasn't on my minor league bingo card this year. I mean, this is insane. Like he's hitting 377, 441, 609 at Birmingham with nine homers. He's walking at a 13 and a half percent clip after being a guy that used to walk around 5% of the time. I mean, you could, you could make a legit argument that Lenyon Sosa is the best prospect in the system right now. I feel like every night he's like three for five with a homer. You know, it's he's not, but it seems like every every time you look at Twitter and you're following minor league stuff, like, you know, he's one of those guys. So, you know, that's like the in, the infield stuff. You also, you mentioned Sean Burke. I mean, third round pick last year, bumped all the way up to four by Baseball America. They have him as the top, pros- top pitching prospect, you know, in the system. In their update, they said that he's thriving in his first full season at high A Winston-Salem with two plus pitches and a chance for a third as he develops the slider. He's a high floor with the projection of a mid-rotation starter. So, you know, he's a 6'6 athletic righty. He struggled with command in the past. He's pitching at Birmingham right now. So if he pitches well at Birmingham, I mean, Burke is in play for the big league rotation in 2023. I would think. So that's a that's a good sign from last year's third rounder. Absolutely. And there's no exaggeration there either. You know, this is an advanced college arm who is holding his own with two advanced pitches and he throws hard. And it's great to see that Burke is having success early on because, yeah, this is a quick turnaround type player. And we, we just talked about the number of infielders that are across the top 15, top 30 here at the updated Baseball America list. But there are others, too, that have caught our attention James. And and really, it's more of those who have been shooting down the list. I mean, Jared Kelly at 14. We're looking at Andrew Dahlquist, 21. Matthew Thompson, 16. I'm not used to seeing these guys specifically 
at the lower half of the top 30. And then also shout out Davis Martin, who uh, got a nice little honorable mention at number 13 on this list, because suddenly Davis Martin is a player that we should be seriously considering as a piece in the White Sox. Yeah, so what's happened with the pitching in the org is interesting and like on the list for sure. So you mentioned Davis Martin, you know, he came from unranked all the way to 13 on this list. We will talk, you know, with Jack in a bit about Davis Martin, but, you know, the write-up basically just says the velo on his four-seamer has jumped. It now touches 97, pairs it with a plus slider. He's also locating his pitches better and showing more consistency. So the thing is, Davis Martin was a top 150-ish draft prospect in 2018, had a really rough year at Texas Tech. And, you know, the White Sox paid him 130K to sign on day three of the draft. And, he, you know, he wasn't great, like, in the low minors, but he took the mound and was okay. And his stuff is just really ticked up. And he's, you know, maybe made a career for himself. I mean, he's he's obviously, like, the next guy in for the White Sox at this point from Charlotte. And in a system like this one, that should rank him kind of highly like, you know, one quick note, we haven't seen Norhe very yet. He is throwing bullpens in Arizona and he's expected to go out to one of the a ball affiliates in June. So we, you know, we should see him to close the year um, after he was dealing with like a bit of a lad injury. And then, yeah, like your, your trio of prep arms that we always talk about here have just kind of fallen like Jared Kelly. They still have ranked the highest probably because he has the most upside. I would imagine and then Matthew Thompson's had some really good starts, but, you know, more often than not, it's just not enough. And then, you know, Andrew Dahlquist has struggled, and those guys are those guys are in high A. So the one that's the most interesting, and you didn't mention him, was Christian Mena. He just has so many strikeouts, right? It's like 47 strikeouts in like 32 innings in, in A ball, and he's only throwing like 92, but his other stuff is so good. And, you know, there, there's a lot of projection there for a, guy that signed for 250k in the international class back in 2019 so i i think mena is the guy to to keep an eye on for sure out of the pitchers like especially in the low minors so as we wrap up this kind we'll get to jack mcmullen here in just a second but there's a couple of things that james i want you to touch on first rookie ball is starting in june so I'd love for you to provide an update to our listeners regarding that and then Yoemi Nolasco Number 28, a right-handed pitcher in the system for the White Sox. That's a name that we haven't seen at all, um, as well as Cole Simus. Any information on those two players? And then whatever you have on rookie ball starting up soon. So Cole Simus is interesting. The stuff's been really good. He's uh, he's in low A. He was an undrafted free agent in 2021. So he signed after the draft for like $20,000. Um, and he's the nephew, I believe, of Bill Simus, who was a – you know, for anybody who remembers Billy Simus, he was a White Sox middle reliever, I believe, in like the the 2000s. So, you know, but he's got a 273 ERA in Kannapolis. My only thing with him is like as a three or four year college guy, like he probably needs to pitch in Winston. You know, I, I know like he the biggest thing was probably that he just like needs innings. But I think for us to realize what he actually is like long term, he probably needs to to move up. One of the other guys you mentioned, um, Yohimi Nolasco, wasn't very good last year either. But he, you know, he's six foot. He's listed at six foot one sixty. I believe he's nineteen. Um, he's apparently their best pitcher on the backfields right now, from what I've heard. And you know, Baseball America has has a note on it too. You know, he was one of the highlights of their extended spring training team. 
fastball gets up to 96 with good life, and he has feel for a slurvy breaking ball. So he's tall and very slender. They compare him to Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians. Like just, you know, that's the way he looks, I guess. So I would think that he's like the the early pitching highlight for the Arizona team. Um, that team's going to be very young. There might be some other players that, you know, that we've heard of. There was a 15th round high school center fielder shortstop that the White Sox took last year. He'll be on that team. And the weird thing about rookie ball, rookie ball starts June 6th in Arizona and the DSL um, is that the draft is until July 17th. So like a lot of those players like aren't even on the team until late July. That's like the big difference with us having a late draft. So, you know, the Arizona team will be comprised of, you know, just like a lot of young guys that people haven't really heard of. A lot of the guys from the DSL last year, Victor Quezada um, is a prominent name on that list. But then, you know, our listeners have definitely heard of Eric Hernandez. You know, he's their second big signing outside of Oscar Colas. He'll be he'll be in the DSL, you know, and he's in the DSL along with Lloydell Chapelli, who, you know, we talked about last week on the show and you know, this show is going out on Tuesday. So, you know, I, I'd be remiss to not mention Juan Uribe Jr., which, you know, is, is is pretty interesting. I'm guessing that he will be on the Dominican Summer League team as well. And, you know, our friend uh, Chris Tannehill is probably begging your boss, Mitch Rosen, for a uh, credential to go down and cover the White Sox in the Dominican Summer League. I'm sure about that one. James, what about Elijah Tatis? I know our listeners are wondering about whenever we talk about rookie affiliates or international signing periods, international prospects in general, Elijah always stands out. Do you have anything on him? So he was, he really struggled in Arizona. You know, I mean, we heard about the tools and whatnot, but he struck out uh, a lot. I, you know, I think it was like close to 50%. I think he plays fine defense. I just, he just hasn't hit in actual games. So We'll see. He's going to have to prove it. He'll be on that Arizona League team, though, for sure. So, you know, he wasn't one of the guys that even started at Kannapolis. Because it's easy, like, once rookie ball starts, like, guys can come down there from Kannapolis that started at Kannapolis. And, you know, we haven't seen him at all. So he he's in, he's in Arizona. James, thanks for your information. As always, really appreciate everything that you do for us at Future Sox. We are going to introduce Jack McMullen of the Indianapolis Indians, the Pirates AAA affiliate. He is the play-by-play broadcaster for that affiliate. So this is something that I I went into this interview looking for any sort of perspective that I could get from somebody who doesn't necessarily follow the White Sox as closely as we do. And I learned a ton. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. A brilliant baseball mind coming up next. Jack McMullen, stay tuned. You can check us out on Patreon without ads. I have to get this ad in because, well, that's how we do things here at the Future Sox Podcast, which you can listen to us every Tuesday. It's weekly now. If you don't want ads, sign up and become a patron. We really do appreciate it. Patreon.com forward slash Sox Machine to sign up. Take a break. Come back with Jack McMullen. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. 
Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pleased to be joined by Jack McMullen, the voice of the Indianapolis Indians. What is that, the Pirates AAA affiliate? Is that what we're at, Jack, at this point? Yeah, Pirates AAA affiliate. I'm working with uh, Howard Kalman, who's on year 46 as the voice of the Indianapolis Indians. So I am, uh, I'm along for the ride doing whatever innings he doesn't want to do, and it's been a blast, man. How fun is that? Jack is on Twitter at Jack underscore McMullen 11. Uh, expand upon that. What is it like working with a veteran? Yeah, it's so fun. So Howard Kelman, again, he's year 46 in Indianapolis, and he's done some fill-in work with the White Sox in the 90s, I want to say, and he did some fill-in work with the Mets in recent years with Howie Rose, who's a a childhood friend of his. Um, It's hilarious because you have things come up and you have no idea that he can fact check you on that. So um, on the other podcast that I do, the Just Baseball Show, early plug, getting it out of the way right here, um, we had Bob Costas last year and, and we were talking about his favorite guys. Um, and Bob Costas told us that his favorite player of the past generation was Ichiro Suzuki. And I, I thought that was so cool. Ichiro came up in conversation. We were calling a game a couple weeks back and I said, you know, Howard, um, I was lucky enough to have Bob Costas on, the, on uh, my podcast. And he mentioned that his favorite player was Ichiro Suzuki. And Howard got visibly angry. And I was like, what? Why'd you just get angry? And he said, you mean the guy that has a Mickey Mantle card from a bubblegum pack in his wallet said that Ichiro Suzuki was his favorite player? I said, yeah, that's what he told me. So he goes silent for the rest of the inning. I'm I'm doing the play-by-play of that inning. And during the inning break, he whips out his phone and texts Bob Costas to absolutely grill him for saying that Ichiro Suzuki was his favorite player. So it's that type of thing that I had no idea that I was going to get into. But you know what? I'm working with a Hall of Famer, and it's uh, it's a blast. Now, that is uh, that is so cool, just being somebody who grew up in the business as well, working your way up. And like you said, you're, you're in AAA now, and I know you spent time in a lower-level affiliate in the past. We'll get to that in a second. I just admire stuff like that. What is it about your pathway to where you are today that that's gotten you to where you are today? What inspired you to get into this line of work? So um, I know you guys had, had heard my conversation on Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. Matt's actually my uncle. So I, um, you know, I, I grew up wanting to be like him. I grew up wanting to be on the ice after the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup final, even though I'm not a, a very big Blackhawks fan. I was just like, wow, that's really cool. I want to be at the important sports things for a certain city. So I I grew up, I wanted to do that. I went to Syracuse because, you know, that's where everybody feels like they got to go to do this stuff, uh, which is not true, by the way. Uh, but I did have a great experience. And then summer after my freshman year of college, um, I was a production intern for WGN. So I was sitting in the back of the TV booth watching Len do his thing with the Cubs and watching Benetti do his thing with the White Sox. I was like, this is, this might be better. Like the office is the booth high behind a home plate at Wrigley Field or guaranteed right field. So uh, that, that kind of made me transition. And then a summer on the Cape in that collegiate summer league. And then 
short season A and two years in high A and now triple A. And here we are, man, spending time in the Cape Cod league. That is it's a very underrated experience. Let me just say that. So Jack, we really appreciate you coming on. Love having perspective of those who have evaluated talent and, and just to know your background, know that you have a little bit of expertise in this category, just watching professional baseball players at their craft. And before we get into specifics, I want to ask you what's going on in AAA related to some of the rule changes. I know the highlights are the automated uh, automated strike zone as well as a pitch clock, but larger bases, which Major League Baseball says you know they want to incentivize more runners in motion. What has stood out to you the most about the rule changes? I know automated strike zone is all the rage at this point. I'm curious about how Major League Baseball is going to implement the pitch clock. Some have said that the pitch clock is a little too fast for you know players and especially for hitters. I think it's nine seconds the hitter has to get into the box. Just clarify some of that stuff and what are your impressions on, on some of these rule changes. Yeah, so it's fluid with the pitch clock. And I'll, I'll start with the pitch clock because that's the one that I've noticed the most and that I enjoy the most, to be totally honest. Um, so it, it's very fluid because it's umpire's discretion. And you have some guys that are behind the plate that are, are quick to pull the trigger on the automatic ball or automatic strike, and they will abide by that pitch clock in straightaway center. Um, there are some guys that, you know, are, are a lot more loose with it and, you know, say the clock runs out like it's okay, but if you do it four or five times, then we'll, you know, do something about that there. Uh, but the, the essence is you have 19 seconds between pitches. The hitter has to be ready when that clock hits nine seconds and the pitcher, um, has to be set and fire by the time that clock runs out. Um, so you know that, if you're a base runner, you know that the pitcher is going to go home when you see the clock sit at two or one, right? Or he's going to throw over. So if he lifts his leg, you're, you're ready to go even more. So I think that helps base running. You know, talking to a lot of these guys that are experiencing it, mixed reviews. Kanan Smith and Jigba, whose younger brother, by the way, Jackson, is going to go top five in the NFL draft. So if the Bears uh, if the Bears stink and Justin Fields needs a wideout, look out for Jackson at uh, at Ohio State. But I was talking to Kanan Smith and Jigba and then Cal Mitchell, both of whom are, are knocking on the door of the Pirates. And I just posed them a, a very vague question. What do you think of the pitch clock? And Cal immediately said, I hate it. I hate it so much. And Kanan said, nah, man, I like it. I think it's good for the game. It speeds things up. One thing you can't deny is it's sped up pace of play. Last year, AAA games averaged 304. This year, they're averaging around 245, which is insane. We had a game... Uh, in Charlotte, 17 combined walks between Indy and Charlotte, and the game was two hours and 57 minutes. You, you don't see that without a pitch clock, which is awesome. So, you know, going away from some of the rule changes, Jack, I know you, you know, you, you covered the Charlotte Knights recently, you know, it's the AAA affiliate of the White Sox. And, you know, one of the things that you did talk about on 670, the score recently that we are going to have you talk about again, for sure, is Davis Martin, um, somebody we've been keeping a close eye on here, obviously, you know, back in the 2018 draft for context, Davis Martin, you know, top 150, 200 draft guy had a rough season at Texas Tech as a junior. White Sox took him in round 14. You know, he's been starting in their system, but it kind of struggled and was okay. We had heard that he was throwing 96 in instructs and there was, you know, a velocity gain. So, you know, we kind of had our eye on it, but we didn't think he was going to explode like this. What did you first hear about Davis Martin, I guess, when you were about to cover the Knights? And then what do you think now after you saw his big league debut? 
Dude, it was so funny. So I was texting back and forth with uh, my co-host on the other podcast, Aram Layton, who's the co-founder of Just Baseball. Um, and and you're right about his Texas Tech numbers, like four eight seven ERA at Texas Tech. Uh, he had a four nine ERA between Winston and Birmingham last year. So you know, I was going into it just like, okay, here here's a filler before we get to Johnny Cueto, right, or or right after Johnny Cueto. Um, so you know, less exciting, right? And I, I text my buddy who's got access to, to spin rates and pitch arsenals and all that stuff at the minor league level. And I said, Davis Martin, do you have anything? And I got a text, oh, wow. And then a text right after in all caps, oh, wow. And he sent me the spin data and you know the pitch mix and what his pitches are sitting at velocity-wise and how often he's using them. And going into the start, I didn't know much. I knew that he threw really well in Birmingham to the point where he earned a promotion, right? Five starts, three ERA. And I mean, he was getting strikeouts and not walking anybody. And then his first outing in Charlotte, he went, what, six innings, a two-run ball. So I went into that start against Indy knowing that there was a chance that this guy was good and that he figured something out. And then I watched him just carve through a very young and a very talented Indy team. And, you know, Indy is not full of quadruple-A guys. He was seeing the O'Neill Cruises of the world, and he was seeing the Mason Martins of the world and the Rodolfo Castros. So, I mean, these are 22, 23, 24-year-olds that are legitimate top 30 guys for the Pirates in the future. And he was making them look silly. And I said, okay, you know, this is this is way better than that advanced college arm that you take in the middle rounds. Like you just take that flyer, even though he had a high ERA. This was a guy that who I knew coming in was, you know, 24 to 2,500 RPMs on the fastball, which means it's a high spin fastball. It can live at the top of the zone and guys can swing under that. That That's what you see from Giolito, right? When Giolito's on, he's mixing that changeup with a high spin fastball. So guys are over the changeup under the fastball. That's what Martin has. Um, the curveball is very solid. It's got that, you know, 12-6 type movement and the power curve is all the rage right now. Uh, Matthew Liberatore is set to make his MLB debut today. We're recording on a Saturday and Liberatore has like that slow looping curveball. That doesn't really play anymore. The power curve is the thing that plays in baseball again. It's coming back. We know how cyclical the sport is, right? But Martin's got that power curve. He's got a good slider. And what I was most impressed with was that changeup, like a fastball, breaking ball, changeup combination, and the changeup he's got good movement on and great command of. If you can mix three, four pitches, you have two different shapes of breaking balls, you can get through six innings of Major League Baseball. And we saw when Davis Martin was the 27th man for that doubleheader in Kansas City, he got through five innings of one-run baseball in his Major League debut. That's the type of guy we're looking at with Davis Martin, where he doesn't have the stuff that's necessarily going to make, you know, Rob Friedman pitching ninja hop on Twitter 10 times a start. But all of a sudden, you're going to look up and Davis Martin is through six in a 1-1 game. Yeah, it, it was super interesting and super unexpected because, you know, the we were tough on the White Sox and a lot of people were just because of their pitching depth. And, you know, some of the guys at Charlotte, like Jonathan Stever started off hurt and Lambert's like, yep. you know, not really doing the job. So it's like, where is pitching depth coming from other than, you know, Vince Velasquez and Johnny Cueto. And this, uh, right. this seems to be a guy he'll just, you know, he'll stay starting in Charlotte and whatever they added him to the 40 man, obviously to get him up, they were going to have to do so anyway. Cause he's, you know, he's rule five eligible. So yeah, that, that's interesting. So, you know, the guy that I'm going to go to next is 
I think his battery mate last week, um, Carlos Perez is somebody we've known kind of for a while as he was a defense first catcher and he has two brothers that are also named Carlos Perez. I thought I've always thought that was interesting about him, but you know, so so Tony La Russa had good things to say about him in big league camp last year, but the white Sox had four catchers on their 40 man. He was not one of them. Well, now at Charlotte, Carlos Perez is hitting 292, 333, 558 with eight homers. So, you know, he doesn't really walk out or he doesn't really walk. He doesn't really strike out either. Do you know how the defense is? And, you know, is this a guy that could be in the big leagues relatively quickly? Yeah, I think the defense is fine. And you guys know from watching Charlotte this year, this is the type of guy that, I mean, is displacing Sebi Zavala right now. You're not seeing Sebi catch that much in Charlotte because Carlos Perez needs the majority of the catching reps there because he's a guy that that factors in. And he's 25 years old again, but you know what? Like, I'll take a 25-year-old catcher waiting in Charlotte for his chance, especially with Yasmani Grandal and his contract situation, right? I mean, Perez, 134 plate appearances, eight walks, seven strikeouts. Seven strikeouts and 134 plate appearances. Like, the bat-to-ball there from a catcher is gold. I, I don't know, like, you know, how that'll result if you get a bunch of weak contact at the big league level or maybe, you know, the strikeout number skyrocket. I don't think they will. I don't think there's that much of a difference between some of the pitching that you're going to see in the AL Central and some of the pitching that you'll see in the International League at this moment. Um, but, I mean, this is a guy that has some power in there defensively to answer your question, James, I mean, he, he looked fine. Like he didn't necessarily have that feel of this is an excellent framer or you're not going to run on him, but he looks like a very solid catcher right now. And if, you know, Reese McGuire goes down and you need a backup for Yaz, um, I, I think Carlos Perez can absolutely be the guy there because he's going to give you serviceable defense and you obviously know what you're getting with the bat. It's it's a chance to put a ball in play and put a ball hard in play pretty much every time he comes to the plate. Now, let me get you to Yolbert Sanchez. Yeah. I like him. Do you <laughs> like him? I love that question. Um, yes, I do like him. I think that what he provides is very similar to Josh Harrison. Um, I, I don't think that he's going to give you more than five home runs. I don't think he has hit a home run yet in Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. He might have pumped one out against Norfolk. Um, but, I mean, Yolbert Sanchez, like, he is a very smooth, solid defender. He's not going to make mistakes at second pace, and that is very nice because right now, what, you've got Harrison, you've got Laori, and then, you know, maybe Danny Mendick, uh, if if he gets up, you know, that's who's at second base right now. I think Gilbert Sanchez can be the second baseman. I don't think he provides you much offensively, but I think that the type of production that you saw in the early goings from Nick Madrigal is the type of production that you'll see from Gilbert Sanchez, obviously with more swing and miss, right? Because he is a bat to ball guy, but not to the level that Madrigal is uh, with minimal power, but, but slightly more, you know, I think this guy can be a, a 20 to 25 doubles guy. If you give him a full 162 in major league baseball, but yeah, I, the defense is the calling card. Um, and I like the defense, man. I will take a very good defensive second baseman that can be your eight or nine hitter any day of the week. You know, you said you just missed Andrew Vaughn's rehab when he was down there, but you know, he, he wreaked havoc for like two days and then they, they brought him back to Chicago. Andrew Vaughn never played, you know, in double a or in triple a. And, you know, I feel like me and Mike have been, 
you know, trying to tell people that for, for a year and a half. And, you know, he didn't have 2020 like everybody else. And he was yeah. up on the big league team holding his own. And, you know, now he's one of their best players. Just my question for you as somebody, you know, that sees guys all the time and you host, you know, you host a podcast too. Andrew Vaughn, had he played at double A AA and triple A, like he was still a top 10 prospect in all of baseball as a first yeah. baseman, having not done that. If he had done that, would his prospect debut have been as anticipated for the White Sox as, you know, Eloy and Robert? And then even you're looking at his draft mates now, Rushman and Witt. He's he's right in line with with all of those players, is he not? Oh my God, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely yes, James. Um, and yeah, I, I actually did catch Vaughn's rehab appearance. I missed Moncada by a day, and I was I was bummed because Johan was always my guy that I held out hope for, and I, I think he's turned into a very solid big leaguer, but I think everybody was expecting him to be perennial MVP candidate, but now he is perennial all-star candidate, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, but yeah, I, I did catch Vaughn, and Here's the thing about Vaughn. I saw him out on the Cape when he was in Wareham, right before he went to Team USA. Um, and that's what a lot of the best college guys do. They they come to the Cape for a couple of weeks. Andrew Vaughn was teammates with Bryson Stott, who's now that rookie shortstop for the Phillies out in Wareham. And those two just looked better than everybody else. Same thing with Torkelson. I saw Torkelson when he was out there, and they just looked better, and the ball sounded different coming off of their bat than everybody else. And Vaughn, when when he went to Chicago third overall, I was elated. I, I was so excited because that bat was enough to make him a top 15 prospect in baseball by being a first baseman. It's really hard to do that. We see what? One guy that's a top 20 prospect right now that's a first baseman, Tristan Casas in the Red Sox system. But Vaughn, like when he came down for that rehab assignment, and I know a lot of people were saying like, oh, you, you know, you got to get him reps in, in double and triple. No, you don't, because the bat was MLB ready when he was coming out of Berkeley. And it, I, I'm sure you guys have touched on what Vaughn did at Berkeley because it was absolutely criminally ridiculous what he did at Berkeley. And I, it, he doesn't need any minor league reps. He didn't need him last year, certainly doesn't need him this year. He had, what, a 920 OPS when he went down and I saw him have a multi-homer game against really solid pitching in Indy. So I, this, is the, this is the guy that can be one of the better bats in baseball. And, and you think of guys that are just great bats and great overall hitters. He's not going to be Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is in a league of his own. But I think when you see peak Andrew Vaughn, He's the type of offensive influence on a game as Jordan Alvarez can be, where you have uber power and a great feel to hit. So, you know, another guy, former first round pick of the White Sox is Jake Berger. Everybody knows the story by now. You know, just the yeah. fact that he's even playing, I think, is, is shocking to some. What do you think Jake Berger's long term future is? I really liked watching Jake Berger for that week. And, and I've kept tabs on Berger because, you know, I'll watch him when he's with the White Sox, obviously. And I've, I've kept tabs on him because I felt so bad. You know, I'm sure you guys felt so bad hearing that. Well, he was just walking around his house when he re-ruptured his Achilles. Like, that is so brutal for somebody to go through. And you've got the expectations of that top 15 overall pick. Did he go 11th um, in 2018 at a Missouri State? But, like... Berger is the type of guy that defies his frame. You see him and you see his smile and it's like, oh yeah, that guy's a DH. He's a fun-loving DH. He's a pretty solid third baseman. I think he's fine over there. I think he's actually pretty good over there. Uh, and I think the bat is great. The bat screams first round MLB draft pick. 
I, I think this guy is a major league baseball player for, you know, a, at least five to seven years, whether that's with the White Sox or not. I have no idea, but Berger is a valuable piece in the White Sox system and he's showing it uh, in Charlotte right now. So then, you know, Jack, the last thing I have for you, you know, you, you've seen a bunch of prospects so far this year and over the years you, you saw Omaha. I was dopey and uh, picked Kansas City to take second in the Central this year just because <laughs> I, I, for some reason I ignored their pitching. But I knew what they had coming yeah. in, in Melendez and Prado. And White Sox fans yeah. just saw Melendez up close. So, you know, they've seen Melendez. How good is Prado? Yeah, he's really good. Um, and I will say you probably didn't forecast Carlos Santana hitting, what, 110 through the first six weeks of the season either. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. And, but, I thought, and I thought, yeah. thought Wit might have went a little crazy sooner, but, you know. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, I had a couple of people telling me that you got to wait on Wit. I was like, why do I have to wait on Wit? He's so talented. I bet he's just going to hit the ground running right away, but he, I guess not. So, uh, but he's hitting the ground running right now. Melendez is really good. But to answer your question, James, Prado is really, really good. This guy defensively, and you don't talk about first base defense often, he can be a gold glover as soon as he comes up. I think next year, he'll probably come up at some point this year when they decide to abort mission on the Carlos Santana thing. Um, When he breaks camp with the Royals, he should be the front runner for the AL gold glove at first base. He's a very, very talented defensive first baseman. And he's got insane pop, too. I mean, I saw him go 450 in week one in Indy, and it got out no problem. And again, week one in the Midwest, you guys know it, it's as cold as all get out. Ball does not fly, especially with these baseballs that everybody's using right now. It doesn't fly. But he went 450, dead center. He hit three homers that week. I will say that he does have a lot more swing and miss than you would hope for. Um, I, I think there's a chance he comes up in his first full season. He's like a 35% strikeout rate guy, which is high. But you know what? If you're getting gold glove defense at first base and you're getting the possibility of 30 to 35 homers from a rookie, I'll take a 35% strikeout rate because you've got guys that can put the ball in play more elsewhere in that lineup. But yeah, the pitching is the big problem for Kansas City, man. I, I don't know what's going on there. With, with everything that Cleveland does right, it feels like Kansas City does wrong. I like that. <laughs> I like that evaluation. Jack, your baseball knowledge is clearly showing. Last one for me. Who is your favorite prospect to watch at this point? Like if you had to put your name and attach it to a certain player, just pound your fist on the desk and say, this person is mine. Who would that be? <laughs> so it was Alec Thomas before he debuted with Arizona. Alec Thomas um, it just, I, I bought in on him right away because I went to OPRF, uh, Oak Park River Forest, and we were going to the state semifinals. We were going to see the winner of Providence Catholic and Mount Carmel, my senior year, which was 2016. Mount Carmel, we saw Providence and Providence beat us. I, I want to say one, nothing. I don't remember that game that vividly, even though I feel like I should, but, uh, yeah, Providence ended up beating Mount Carmel, but Mount Carmel was running out a lineup where the guy on the mound and seven position players were all D1 commits as seniors. The only one that wasn't was their freshman center fielder named Alec Thomas. And I saw Alec Thomas tomahawk a triple off the top of the center field wall and hit a home run dead center at that Windy City Thunderbolts uh, stadium his freshman year of high school. 
And uh, there we go. Deep cut Chicago with the Windy City Thunderbolts, right? So I, w- I was bought in there and I was like, okay, I see that he commit to TCU as a football player and a baseball player. Great. Oh, he went second round to Arizona. Great. Um, that's a guy that I just kept on keeping tabs on. And I never stopped because I was so mesmerized by his athleticism and his consistency. Because usually when you have freak athletes, they look a lot like Joe Adele or Jordan Adams in the Angels system where you're, you're waiting for them to piece it together and you can just see the athleticism oozing, but you don't necessarily see the, the finely tuned mechanics of the baseball swing. You get both of those with Alec Thomas. I think that guy is a freak athlete. Um, and I, I think that his ability to just be a natural baseball player is very, very solid. I think this is a guy that, that factors in. And when the Diamondbacks get really good, that might be in a long time. But when the Diamondbacks get really good, a lot of that's going to be because of Alec Thomas. So I'll stamp my name on Alec Thomas. The other one is, uh, is George Kirby. That's my guy in Seattle. Just debuted. Uh, George Kirby, I saw out on the Cape. And I mean, this was right before his spring at Elon in North Carolina, where he punched out 107 guys and walked six his junior year. Um, And and he was just shoving on the Cape. He is he's the command guy whose stuff ticked up. He he started doing the driveline stuff when he got to Elon. He showed up to campus as a freshman, 88 to 90 with his fastball. He was touching 102 at the alternate site in 2020. And this guy has not let the command slip. So one hitter is Alec Thomas. One pitcher is George Kirby. Well, I appreciate you stamping your name on Alec Thomas. That's totally fair. And shout out to the Windy City Thunderbolts. That's where I got my professional start. There and we I was go. able to check out Keenan Walker. Does that name ring a bell a little bit? Not at He's all. A, yeah, former <laughs> compensatory first round pick for the White Sox that kind of flamed out. Interesting story if you look up Keenan Walker's history. Uh, but I got to watch him play for the Thunderbolts in 2017. So that was a lot of fun. Jack, you mentioned driveline. This is, I, I have to ask you about this. You know, I've gotten differing opinions and I understand. Like I played with kids who went through the driveline program and I saw them get upticks in their velocity. What's your opinion on that philosophy in, in training players and pitchers? It, it's it's interesting. Uh, those who understand what driveline is know the, the regimen in which players train to get the uptick in velocity. It's just, it's, it's kind of controversial based on the amount of stress that you're putting on your arm. And those who support driveline may kind of shudder or cringe when they hear controversial because they have differing opinions on it. But I'm just curious what yours is. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a loaded question now in baseball, yeah, how right? About it? That's like asking how about a political it? question, but in baseball. Um, yeah, no, I, I like... I like the premise of what they do because the whole idea of driveline is to enhance pitchers and and give them the opportunity to succeed at the highest level. Driveline mimics what Major League Baseball wanted, right? Major League Baseball wanted more guys that threw 100. Driveline is supplying them more guys that throw 100. Now, are Tommy John surgeries up more than ever before? Absolutely. Do we see high school juniors getting Tommy John surgery? When did Cease get Tommy John? Cease got Tommy John as senior year of high school in Georgia, uh, right? Yeah, in, in high school, because the Cubs took him in the sixth round and, and right. just like overpaid yes. him. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing 16-year-olds get Tommy John surgery because you've got specialization and you've got this obsession with maximum velocity. Now, I'm here for getting guys opportunities, um, and I'm totally here for velocity and stuff upticks. And that's what I want to preach right now. Um, 
you know, when, when I was coming up and I'm sure when you guys were, were in your formative baseball years, when you were growing up and, you know, whether that be through high school or however long it was always, you know, the MO with pitching was always, oh, you know, you can teach, um, command. You can't teach stuff, right? If you throw hard and you've got a great breaking ball, we'll figure out the command. Now I think it's the total opposite. You can't teach command, but with all the tech that we have right now in baseball, you can teach stuff and you can develop this nasty slider because Pitching Ninja has a Dropbox file of slider grips and you can go get Mariano's cutter grip if you want. And then you also have places like Driveline where, hey, let's try and uptick your spin on your fastball and let's build the crap out of your lower half so we can get you from 85 to 92 so you can go succeed at the D1 level in college. Um, it, that's what I love about Driveline. What I don't necessarily like about Driveline is I feel like the essence of the pitcher is leaving. I think that it, there's less there's less attention paid to the fine-tuned mechanics and the beauty of a pitching aesthetics now. And that's why I fell in love with pitching. It was a finesse thing. And, you know, yes, you can have brute force. Yes, you can have a hundred with a crazy slider like Hunter Green, but my favorite guy to watch growing up was Mark Burley because he was surgical. Um, and even guys like Chris Sale, who did throw 96 to 98, that slider was nuts and he was surgical at times. There's this blend of power and athleticism and finesse in pitching. And I just feel like we're losing a little bit of that finesse in pitching. Jack, it's interesting that you say that, you know, like stuff can be taught theoretically. You know, it's funny just because we're, we're looking at a guy Christian Mena, he's in Kannapolis for the White Sox. He's only 19. And I think a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago, you know, he was signed for cheap out of the Dominican. And Ben Babler told us, oh, yeah, this is a guy, you know, that can spin the ball and he's a guy to keep an eye on. And, you know, he he had really a lot of success in the Arizona League last year. Well, he's just carving dudes up in Kannapolis right now. And he throws like 91, 92, but he really knows how to pitch. And like all of his breaking stuff is great. That's why like I'm super hot. He might be the best pitching prospect in the Sox organization in a year and a half, because like you said, like he might throw 96, 97 at some point. He doesn't have to yet, but he knows how to pitch. And he, you know, he has multiple breaking balls that kids in a ball just cannot touch right now. Are, Are you guys big basketball people? I mean, I like the NBA. Got you. It's all right. So I'm a massive (laughs) college basketball person. That might have sounded like a totally crazy segue there, but I'm a big college basketball person. And the best college basketball players and the guys that are going to go top 10 in the NBA draft, sometimes they're very different, right? The player of the year might go second round, like you saw with Luca Garza at Iowa. Um, That's the thing. With a guy like Mena, he is the type where you look at him and you see – oh, just wait till this guy gets in a big league weight room. Just wait till this guy spends an offseason with the White Sox, right? You know, and and you can build that lower half and you can get him on a great throwing program. That's what you see with the NBA draft where you've got a guy that's freakishly athletic, but he's got that Kevin Durant build and not that Kevin Durant talent. It's like, oh, just wait till he goes, goes and fills out. Andrew Wiggins, he was just this skinny kid at Kansas. And then all of a sudden his biceps got bigger, his rookie year. DeAndre Ayton, same kind of thing. He just looks like the Hulk now with Phoenix. So I I feel like that's what you can do in Major League Baseball now, where previously it was, let's try and hone in command. Let's try and teach that, but we can't teach 100. You can get a guy up to 100 right now. And Mena, if he keeps the principles that he pitches with right now, 
and the stuff upticks like it will just with time being at Camelback Ranch or being, you know, uh, with Canapolis staff and with that strength coach, I, I think there's a chance that, that that guy can absolutely jump. I am more willing to side with the guys that have pitchability now and the stuff will come as opposed to stuff now and will try and rein the walks in. That's Jack McMullen of the Indianapolis Indians. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time. Sky's the limit for you. I really appreciate the insight. Enjoy your time with Howard Kelman too. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I absolutely will. And thank you guys so much, Mike. I will uh, I'll absolutely be listening to the Bernstein show. I, I hope to hear uh hope to hear you chime in every now and again and you know, maybe maybe grill him on a couple of things. And James, look forward to keep on reading, man. That's Jack McMullen at Jack underscore McMullen 11 on Twitter. You can give him a follow. Also subscribe to his podcast. He's a host of Just Baseball Podcast. A lot of fun on that interview with Jack. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. A lot in there. If you can, give us a like, subscribe, even check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash socks machine to sign up. You get exclusive content. You could follow us on Twitter at future socks for everything you need. Go to futuresocks.com for all of your information for James Fox. One more time. My name is Mike Rankin and for Jack McMullen. Thanks so much for tuning in again. We'll talk to you all next week.